Good morning, family. I want to give a warm welcome again to Nick and Melissa. We're so happy that y'all are here with us. You're going to be a great addition to this team, and it's really awesome that you're here. And we are uh, also, I just want to give a shout out to any visitors. If we have any visitors before I get moving, thank you for joining us. If you have any questions about 4th Avenue, how to get plugged in, or you just want to learn more about us, we do have starting point today, and that's a great opportunity to ask some questions and, and get to know us more. But we're really happy that you're here as well. We're continuing our series this morning on the book of Acts called Church on Fire. And we are looking at what spirit-empowered people did to take the good news of Jesus and spread it to the whole world. And I'm really excited about this series. I think it's going to be really fun and really helpful for us to be a church on fire. Whenever I was in high school, I would, consider, I would have considered myself a music junkie. I listened to so many different genres. I listened to so many different artists. I loved a ton of music. And I would consider myself kind of cutting edge on listening to music. I moved past and evolved past CDs. And I started really getting into iTunes and really getting into listening to music on my smartphone. It's, it was kind of the way to do it. And I thought I was living the enlightened life. Then I went to college, and one of my friends said, oh, you're still listening to iTunes? What? Have you heard of Spotify? And I was like, Spotify? No, I don't. Is that like a flashlight service, or like, what, what is that? And they said, no, it's a music streaming service. You can basically download all the songs that you want to your phone. You can create playlists. You have basically access to every song ever made for like $5 a month on a student plan. I was like, what? That exists? I'm spending like $15 per album, like twice a month. Like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I immediately started listening to Spotify, and I realized very quickly the goodness of Spotify. And I quickly became a Spotify convert, and then quickly after that became a Spotify evangelist. <laughs> I was telling everybody about Spotify. Honestly, they should have paid me for how much money I gave them, how much business I gave them to my friends. I made so many Spotify converts. I was like, wait, what are you listening to? No, you got to listen to this platform. This, this service is so much better. And I even recently converted my own father. But we have this new service that is so good. And like just random people, people I didn't know. If we had a conversation vaguely about music whatsoever, I was like, okay, but have you heard about Spotify? <laughs> I was saying, I was talking about it to everybody because I truly believed that this service was something that was so good. It was such a benefit to my life and I couldn't help but talk about it with people. And don't we do that for things that we really value, for things that we think are amazing? We want to share it with people, particularly the people we love right? If we find a new restaurant that's amazing, we want to tell people about it. If we find the best way to kill weeds in our lawn, we want to tell people about it. If we see a really good movie or play a good game, we want to tell people about it, right? That's something that we naturally want to do. And that's something that I think the early church is experiencing here in Acts. Particularly, we see this with Peter. That feeling of experiencing something so good that you can't help but share it with people. So Peter, for example, he got to spend his days walking in the ministry of Jesus. He got to see the signs and wonders of Jesus, feeding of the 5,000, walking on the sea, so, so many things that I imagine were just 
formational and mind-blowing to him. He got to experience that. He also spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus. That's pretty amazing. And then just recently, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He is brimming with goodness that he wants to share. And it just so happens that there is this massive crowd that's gathering during this Jewish festival. And he sees it as an ample opportunity to talk about what he believes is the good news of Jesus. So let's get into it. Beginning in verse 14. And remember the context of what's happening right before this, right? There are some hecklers in this huge crowd that are saying that everybody here is drunk. Everybody here is filled with wine. And that, that sets the stage for what Peter's about to say. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11, which just reading the word 11 is kind of piercing. Like it's not supposed to be 11, it's supposed to be 12. But he stood up and raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews. So it's important to remember, he's talking primarily to a Jewish audience right here. And the message is tailored for his audience. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. So this is significant how he starts it in the last days and quoting Joel. That's actually not in the original text with Joel. This is Peter kind of saying we are in the last days right now. This is fulfillment. This is kind of end times sort of thing right now. And this is an important teaching in Christianity about the already but not yet. That right now heaven is coming down to earth. Right now God is with us via the Holy Spirit. That is realized to some extent. But the not yet piece is that there's going to come a day when God is going to make everything right. There's not going to be any more mourning or crying or pain anymore. Like we're not, we're not there yet, obviously. So we're living in this already but not yet stage. And that's kind of, I think, in Peter's mind. And it says that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. All of these things are associated with sort of charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. I wanna give a shout out to Lenore Paget again. Uh, this is the painting that she made for this um, series specifically and it's all about the prophecy of Joel. And if you hear some of this imagery, it almost sounds like a horror flick a little bit. All these crazy things happening, the moon turned to blood and the sun is dark. But all of these things are signs that are showing that something significant, something monumental is happening right now. And the day of the Lord is what this is mentioning specifically. And the day of the Lord is a frightening time in the Old Testament. It's a day of God's judgment. It's a, it's a time of terror. But as Peter mentions in the next verse, it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's kind of different. He's talking about this monumental occasion. All these signs and wonders are pointing to the spirit falling on so many people. And it's all about the salvation of God. And it's important to note in Judaism, whenever someone is teaching from a text, oftentimes the last thing that they read or the last thing that they say 
is the most important part. And so what he's talking about here and saying that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, the word Lord in Hebrew is Yahweh, the personal name of God. But what Peter's doing is starting to attribute the lordship here to Jesus, as we're going to see in a little bit. So he's showing the full divine status of Jesus here. In verse 22, it says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Right? This is important to realize after Adam and Eve sinned, it's not plan B for Jesus to come. Well, it didn't do what I wanted, so I guess I'll send Jesus. That's not how it worked. From the very beginning, God had a plan for Jesus to come and die and rise to new life and to give us new life and to show us the greatest demonstration of love imaginable. And then it says, and you, with the help of wicked men, Put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's a gut punch. And many of these people, it very well could have been. They could have been the same people in the crowds that were chanting crucify him as Jesus is being crucified. So Peter might be thinking of names and faces whenever he says this. But I also think he's putting the blame on his own people for killing another one of their prophets. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that language. Death is just gripping on, but it was not strong enough. Jesus broke out of it. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, this is back to Peter, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne, which there are Old Testament references about this eschatological or end times sort of figure in the line of David to come. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the, of the Messiah and that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. So what Peter is arguing here is David died and he stayed dead. His tomb's right over there. We can take a visit if you want to do that. Not really us today, that was back in that time is what I'm saying. However, what he's arguing is that David got a glimpse of the Messiah, one who would come that would not decay, a.k.a. death would not hold him. He would always be living. And what Peter's arguing is David is ultimately pointing to Jesus here. And in verse 32 it says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God, which is the place of highest honor, the place of highest status and authority. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, and the first Lord in this would be the Father in Peter's thinking, and the second Lord here would be Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, place of honor, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is all about the exaltation of Jesus. 
And in verse 36, this is where we're going to end in Acts 2. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Messiah meaning the king, the authority of all things. And I know some of you don't want me to stop here because we're getting to the best part, right? But just like in Acts 1 in the church in Jerusalem, you're going to have to wait. But we're going to examine really closely what Peter's talking about here. What Peter would consider the good news or the gospel message for his listeners. And I think the word gospel for us as Christians can be really familiar. It can get thrown around a good bit. And honestly, as we're getting more and more biblically illiterate, I would say that there are more Christians that don't even really know what the gospel is or how to articulate the gospel to somebody else. So I think it's really important that we, we dive into this and we really ask the question, what is the gospel? And what is it that makes the gospel truly good news? This week was really fun for me because I got to kind of be like Sherlock Holmes in that I was going through the whole book of Acts and just kind of reading through all of the massive teaching chunks that are in the book of Acts, trying to figure out what the consistent themes of the gospel message are. And I found some pretty interesting things. And I, and I found a very consistent pattern as well. I noticed pretty consistently how Peter and how Paul will mention the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. This theme is continually repeated in the book of Acts. And I'm going I'm to show it to you here. So in Acts 2, there's several places that talk about this. It says, you put him to death, or you crucified him, talking about Jesus' death. The resurrection, God raised him from the dead. God raises Jesus to life. Exaltation, he is exalted to the right hand of God, and God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Right? Very clearly in Acts 2, those three things are there. Acts 3, Peter's talking to the Jews again. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. That's the exaltation piece. You handed him over to be killed. You killed the author of life. Again, ouch. That one hurts. That's the death. But God raised him from the dead. Resurrection. In Acts 4, very similar situation. It's by the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. There's the death and resurrection. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. That's the exaltation piece. Even though technically the cornerstone is one of the lower parts of the building, it's the most significant part of the structure, right? That's the exaltation of Jesus. And then to change the audience a little bit in Acts 10, as Peter's talking to Cornelius in a Gentile household. The message changes a little bit, but really the message is the same. He says they killed him by hanging on a cross, so he's not putting the blame with Gentiles. So there's the death. God raised him from the dead on the third day, resurrection, and God appointed him as judge of the living and the dead. There's the glorification, the exaltation. This theme is constant, and accompanied by all of these is Peter saying that we are all witnesses of this. In other words, he's saying, I'm saying this with the most assurance I possibly can that this is true. And I am a witness of this. And if you look at Paul and his teachings, he, in Acts 13, he has these same themes. In 1 Corinthians 15, that's one of the best chapters of the gospel in the whole Bible. It's consistent. This theme keeps popping up over and over again. The preaching of Peter and Paul consistently speaks of Jesus' death, resurrection, exaltation. 
And I know oftentimes, whenever we talk about the gospel in churches, we like to keep the bare bones of it's Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. I'm not saying that's wrong. I think that's true. At, at the most foundational level, that is the gospel. But the exaltation piece of this is extremely important as well. And my question is, why is their preaching so filled with all three of these things? Why are these the most important things for them? Let's look specifically at Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation, and why Peter and Paul would say this is the good news. So with Jesus' death, it's good news because, first of all, it means that our sins are permanently destroyed. In the Old Testament, whenever people would sin, their sins would need to be atoned for. So they would have sacrifices with animals where the sins of my life, I would put on that animal, and because of that sacrifice, my sins are eradicated, and I am considered pure. I'm considered clean again. And what Jesus is, is the perfect sacrifice. All sin of all time has been placed on Jesus and crucified. So the things that you have done in your life, the things that you will do in your life, that bring so much shame to you every time you think about it, you wish you never did it, it's destroyed. It no longer has power because it has been killed with Jesus. Also, it's good news because it is the greatest demonstration of God's love. Jesus says there is no greater love than when one lays down his life for his friends. First of all, the God of the universe considers us a friend. That's amazing. But it's the greatest demonstration of love. That he is saying, I'm going to show you how much I care about you. That I'm willing to die one of the worst deaths that has ever been invented by humans. And he didn't just do that for his friends. He did it for the world. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died for all of us to show us how much he loves us. And also it gives us an example to follow. And that's really important too. Because so many of us want to do what we want to do. We want to do the things of our own heart. We want to follow our own desires. But Jesus gives us a model to follow. Philippians 2 really talks about this. He humbled himself. He is the God of the towel. He bent down and washed his apostles' feet. He lived an extremely humble life. And even up to the point of his death, he was saying, your will be done, not mine. Jesus' death gives us an example to follow. It's really good news. The resurrection is also really good news. And I've talked a lot about this via Easter, but I'm going to say it again because the resurrection is so important. The resurrection is the foundation of Christianity. And the good news of the resurrection means that the power of sin and death and evil is completely defeated. It does not have the final word. There are so many injustices that keep happening over and over and over again in this world. And it's heartbreaking and it's frustrating, but the resurrection of Jesus means that that does not win. That means there's going to come a day when goodness will win out. Also, the resurrection is good news because we have eternal life with Jesus, which is amazing. We have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us. He is the first fruits of the new creation. So as the Holy Spirit is presiding and living in us, we are going to be raised to new life as Jesus was. That's good news. That means death does not have the final word or victory in your life. 
And lastly, this one's really important too, because it's important to remember that eternal life starts now, right? It doesn't start after we die. Eternal life begins now, in this life. But the good news of the resurrection is we are being sanctified and we are set free in the Holy Spirit. We are dead to who we were. Our, our baptism really symbolizes this, and we're going to talk about this more in a couple weeks. We are dead to who we were. Our identity of who we were, the, the terrible things that we've done, is destroyed, and we are raised to new life, to a new identity in Jesus, which is so powerful. And it also means that I am free from my sins. It means that all the stuff that I have done in my life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can overcome them right now. It's not something necessarily that, you know, you have to wait until you die. And I'm not saying it's just going to be a light switch sort of thing. Sometimes it takes a whole lifetime. Sometimes it may not even happen in your life. But we know that in this life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are free from our sins. It does not have claim of us anymore. And the resurrection, it means the exaltation of Jesus. And the exaltation of Jesus is incredibly good news. Because it means the ultimate ruler of this world is good. <laughs> we have so many corrupt leaders in this world. We have so many people who are in it for power. They don't really care about the people that are under them. There are so many of them. And there are so many injustices that happen. But we know the one who is sitting on the throne, the one who has all authority in all time is good. And that changes everything. Because that means that in the end, all will be made right. Also, the exaltation is good news because we know the truth to follow. If Jesus is Lord, then that means we know what voice to listen to. There are so many competing voices in our world today. So many different people on social media that would influence us. So many people on the news that are telling us what to think. We have friends telling us what to think. Our own heart's desires are telling us what to think. And it's like, what voice do I listen to? What this does is clears up all the fog. Because we know the voice to listen to. We know the Lord of the universe. We know the one that we are to submit to. And the good thing, submission is such a word in today's culture, it kind of makes people cringe a little bit. But if you're submitting to a perfectly good king, it is the best thing possible. We know the truth. And we get to follow in the truth of Jesus. And finally, the exaltation is good news is because we know that all things will come to pass, as Christ says, because of his faithfulness. Because he is the Lord, because he is sovereign, because he has all authority. The things in scripture that talk about that there's not going to be any more pain or mourning or crying anymore. All that's going to be done away with. We can trust that that is true. We can trust that Jesus is going to follow through with what he has said because of his faithfulness. Not because of my performance, not because of my faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Church... Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation is incredibly good news. And it's not just good news. It is the best possible news. And it's not just the best possible news. It's the best possible life. <laughs> because in Jesus, we are not met with condemnation. In Jesus, we know that evil does not have the final word. In Jesus, we are being made more and more like him. We are being refined 
into the image we were created for and the identity we were created for. We have hope in a perfect future and that God is going to bring that promise about because of his faithfulness. This is the best news. And it's important, I really believe this is important that all of us are equipped to talk about it with other people. All of us are equipped to know what the gospel is and be able to articulate it with people. And you don't have to be an academic theologian. You don't have to know words like atonement or aseity or eminence or omnipotence, all that stuffy theological jargon. You don't, got, you don't have to know that, right? You are responsible with sharing the good news of Jesus, both in its proper sense, but also in your own life. So I think this is an important question to ask ourselves. How is the gospel good news for you? How is the gospel good news for you specifically? Because if you can't answer that question, how on earth do you expect anybody to think that it's going to be the best possible news for them? And there, there's a previous sermon that I, I brought up some other questions that can help you answer this one. You can ask the question, what has Jesus delivered me from? You look back on who I was in my life, and you look at who you are now. How has Jesus delivered you from some of the things in your past? That's powerful. There's something really compelling in that. Or if that's a question that's hard to answer, then you can ask the question, and, and I think this question is really important too if you don't know this, and even if you do know this, but who could you have been if Jesus did not step into your life? Because that right there can show you, if I was left to my own devices, where I'd end up, but because of Jesus, I am different. So how is the gospel good news for you? For me, it means that there is redemption in all the dumb things that I've done in my life, and all the dumb things that I will do in my life. It also means that I don't have to play comparison games with other people anymore, because I was plagued by that. It means that my worth is not tied to my performance, which sometimes I still don't believe that, and I'm learning to believe that. It means I know who I am in Jesus. I know who I am. When before I had so many questions about who I was and my identity, my identity is now secure in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is worth the world to me in itself, knowing who I am. And also, in Jesus, he's given me the greatest purpose imaginable. That I am actually able to partner with God, partner with the Holy Spirit to help bring heaven down to earth, to help restore flourishing lives to people that I talk with. What greater thing is there than that? There are so many ways that the gospel is the best news for me. It truly is. And I pray that church, deep in our bones, we believe that the gospel is the best possible news. And we can't help but share it. But I know many of us in here won't. And I'm not just talking about y'all, I'm talking about myself too. There have been many instances in life where I know I could have shared the gospel with somebody in a moment of crisis that probably could have helped them pretty severely. <laughs> but I didn't either because I was afraid to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose reputation or lose standing with somebody, I didn't want a friend to think differently of me anymore. 
And there's grace for that. There is. But I believe primarily the reason we don't share the good news is because we don't believe it's the best thing for us. We don't believe it is the best thing in our lives. I mean, yeah, in theory it's good, but is it as good as financial security? Is it as good as comfort and doing everything that I want to do and keeping all of my friendships and not making anybody mad at me? Do we really believe that the gospel is the best news? Because if we believe that this is the best news, if we mean, if we know that the gospel means a flourishing life for other people and deliverance and true freedom and the best companion in the Holy Spirit that you could imagine, wouldn't we naturally be telling that to people? Wouldn't we be naturally wanting to share what we believe is the good news? And I know, I get it, Jesus is not like Spotify. If you bring up Spotify in a conversation and, and try to tell people why Spotify is so good, they're not going to think differently about you. You're not going to lose standing with them as a friend unless they're like really, no, you got to listen to a record player, I guess. But you're not going to lose standing for something like that. But whenever you bring up the name of Jesus, there's potential that someone might not think you're as great, may not want to be as close of a friend to you. It can alter relationships. I get it. That's part of the reason why I haven't shared the gospel in certain situations. But isn't the freeing and saving love of Jesus worth sharing? Even at the sake of losing reputation, even at the sake of potentially losing a friendship? Because if you believe it's the best thing in your life, then you're going to want your friend to know it. You're going to want everybody to know it. Because you know how important it is for you and how it has changed your life. And I know it's hard to know how to do it unless you've seen it modeled or have done it before. And in a sermon later in this series, we're going to talk more about the methodology of sharing the gospel and how, how to do it in more effective ways. But all of this reminds me of Romans 1.16. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Sometimes I think we might be ashamed. We might be a little nervous to share because we might lose that reputation. But my encouragement today, church, but for today, that we know, know both in a rational sense and also experientially know, and we believe in the deepest part of ourselves, we believe the gospel, and we are ready to share it whenever that time comes. Like I mentioned in a previous sermon, to stay ready so we don't have to get ready for it. And I promise you, if you start praying to God for him to show opportunities for you to share the good news of Jesus, he will. So are we ready to accept those challenges whenever they come up? My prayer this morning for this church is for God to resurrect the importance and the love of the gospel. That the gospel is our hill to die on. That we are a church that is all about, and I'm not saying partially, I'm not saying just a little bit, that we are a church that is all about reaching people with the good news of Jesus. And to truly believe that this is the best possible news and the best possible life. If any of you would like to have any prayers today, if any of you want to learn more about the gospel, 
You want to learn about how to respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in a couple weeks, but we can talk more about it today if you want. I'm going to invite uh, any shepherds or prayer team leaders to go around the room. If there's something going on in your life, we already prayed over uh, several things today, but if there's more things going on that you need help with, if you need to repent of something, you need to confess something, if you want to celebrate something, we want to do that with you this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the good news. The good news that we are forever sealed with the Holy Spirit to know that we have eternal life in you. We're thankful that you give us the power to face whatever obstacle is in our way. We thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus, the new identity that we have in Christ. How that changes everything for us. And Lord, I pray that you prick our hearts today. I pray that you help us to have the courage to not be ashamed of the gospel. But to love other people enough to want to share the good news. And I know we we all fail at that at time to time. But I pray that you just help us fall in love once again with the simple gospel truth of who you are, what you've done, and what the future holds for us. Lord, we thank you for being with us and not forsaking us and not condemning us, but seeing us worthy of love. And I pray that you help us to be a living sacrifice in return. Help us to follow into the steps, into the life of Jesus. And I pray that Fourth Avenue Church of Christ can be a beacon on a hill that is just screaming the good news out to the world. And we pray all this in your Holy Son's name. Amen.